Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. A very warm welcome to you all. My name's Rich, missed that. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, um, and it's great. Uh, oh, it's such a privilege to be able to open God's Word together. Um, and so we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4 today. Um, so we've been working through a series um, in the book of Daniel. Um, that has basically followed Daniel and uh, some of his friends as they've navigated a very difficult season uh, whilst they've been in captivity in Babylon. And these men at different points have taken uh, a stand for uh, their faith, for their identity in God, who he's made them. They've refused to compromise on some of the things that they hold dear. And um, sometimes they've been very forthright and outspoken. Other times they've been very diplomatic and tactful in the way that they approach things. But uh, as we see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they've essentially navigated this season with incredible wisdom. Um, And we arrive here um, in chapter 4. Now, if you uh, have been with us for the whole series, Malcolm opened up at the beginning and Chapter 4 reaches something of a bit of a a, a pinnacle, uh, if you like, in terms of the structure of the book of Daniel. Um, And we're going to read the first few verses in just a second and see uh, this incredible moment or pinnacle, if you like, in chapter Um, 4. And uh, where we've currently just got up to, so previously, so we're in chapter 4, chapter 3... Um, Nebuchadnezzar has built this golden statue and he's commanded that everybody uh, bow down to it whenever they hear these instruments playing and worship this statue that he's made of himself. And uh, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, um, they refuse to bow down to it and they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And God delivers them out of that fiery furnace and that all happens at the end of chapter 3. And then these three men are promoted in the kingdom Um, at the end of chapter 3, and then we jump in um, at chapter 4. So I'm going to read the first few verses of chapter 4, 1 through to 3. It says, Then King King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Lord, we just want to join with that prayer, Lord. And we just want to say how wonderful, how majestic, how powerful um, you are. Lord, we say that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Lord, we do. We say that your dominion, your rule and your reign, Lord, it endures from generation to generation. Lord, that that even as we reflect on the last thousands of years of history as recorded in your word and in other historical accounts, Lord, thank you that you are over it all, Lord, and you are so great and your signs and wonders are to be um, just marveled at. And Lord, we do. We marvel at the wonder and the beauty and the majesty of who you are and how you act today. And that's where chapter 4 starts. With this beautiful picture of who God is um, and what he's done. And then we're going to read on from, chapter, from verse 4. And I'm going to read from verse 4 through to 27. So it's quite a few verses, um, but just track with me. It should come up on the screen. So after this incredible statement, 
this, this, this statement of the wonder and majesty of all that God has done. Um, it says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told them the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the, whole, to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Lest the, let the beast, beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches but leave the stump of its roots in the earth. Bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom, he, to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream of the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which stood and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It's you. O king, you have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. 
It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. And so where we saw at the beginning of this chapter, this incredible declaration, this, if you like, decree that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar makes over his kingdom of just how great and wonderful and majestic God is, um, he then has this dream uh, where, of a picture of this incredible tree that grows till its top is in the heaven. And then a watcher, a holy one comes and makes another decree. This tree is going to be destroyed. It's going to be returned to a stump in the ground. Lop off its branches. Let the beasts scatter. And then Daniel brings this interpretation. And so it's quite an interesting, it's quite a difficult passage to kind of reconcile because you start with this incredible high. And then as you read the account of, of, of his dream and the interpretation that Daniel gives, it's actually very, it's incredibly sobering. And they're almost in quite stark contrast. And so it kind of leaves, leaves us asking a bit of a question, really. So right at the beginning of Daniel chapter 4, he makes this declaration about this truth, about who God is. But it begs the question, does he actually believe it? Because you see, he makes this declaration but in the last few chapters, we've seen uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he's been confronted with the wonder and majesty of God time and time again. And then every time, he seems to turn back to his old practices, turns back to the old way of doing things. We saw in chapter 2 that he declared in verse 47, true to Daniel, he said, truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And yet, in the very next chapter, chapter 3, he then builds a golden image of himself and tells people to bow down. I'm not sure he actually believed it. It's a bit of a head-scratcher, really, because he has these wonderful revelations and then does something completely contradictory. And you're like, like, what's going on here? And actually, even within our passage today, there's a few clues um, as, as we kind of read through that suggest that perhaps, although he, 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 he magnifies God and he declares these wonders, something in his heart has not changed. You see, we see. Firstly, he um, he turns to the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. Before Daniel then comes into him, it says that at the, at the end, lastly, Daniel came into him, um, and it, and it's it's kind of like Daniel has previously interpreted James. If I was Nebuchadnezzar, I'd probably have Daniel on speed dial, right? He was the only one that could interpret the previous dream, and not only that, but it was incredibly accurate. And, and, and you think, well, why, why has he turned to these other people before then Daniel's brought into him? If I, was, if I was Nebuchadnezzar, I'd have Daniel straight in there, straight away. 
And then um, in verse 8, we notice that he still calls Daniel Belteshazzar, which is the name that Daniel's been given after Nebuchadnezzar's gods. So he's not changed his name back. So he's still naming Daniel Belteshazzar after his own gods. And then, I mean, there's, there's, there's numbers of them throughout the passage, but I think another one that I think is fairly significant is um, he says to Daniel, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods? And this, this, this phrase is a little bit funny, really, when you think about it. And essentially what he's saying is, is, is within Babylon there would have been, if you like, a pantheon of gods. There would have been numbers of gods for different things. Um, and within that, he's, he's drawing this distinction between Daniel's God and all of these other gods. And basically what he's done is he's taken Daniel's God and he's, and, and he's just kind of lumped it in with everything. He's just tacked it on to all of his other beliefs, all of his other mysticism and, and, and that sort of stuff. He's just kind of lumped it all together. He's not actually embraced Daniel's God and forsaken all of the others. He's just lumped them all in together. And so this idea that Daniel's God is the one that maybe has authority, but is still one among many other gods. And so we can see actually Nebuchadnezzar is not really all that clear on what he believes. And it's really important that we don't just, we don't just declare truths. That we, I mean, it's very important that we remind ourselves of the goodness of God, but actually we engage our hearts in faith. And actually we pursue God, and we actually sit under his word and his authority. Because you see, that's what Nebuchadnezzar didn't do. He never came under God's authority. It's always, it's, it's always, he's always observing something. And then he brings these declarations. At no point does he humble himself in submission under God. In fact, when we read the book of Daniel, there's moments where he's, where he's, where he's obviously troubled and concerned and the state of his own heart is, is in turmoil. But we don't necessarily read of any moment where he repents where he actually turns away from some of those other things um, and puts his trust um, fully in God. And to be honest, that's what it is to become a Christian. Fundamentally, it's to surrender. It's about humbling ourselves and acknowledging that where we might have put our trust in other things, that actually we would turn away from them. We would repent. That's what the Bible calls it, a turning away from those things that instead we might center ourselves on God, that we might come under his authority and sit under his word, however difficult or hard that might feel at times. And maybe just like uh, that picture in our passage, that this, this great tree that, whose top reaches the heaven. I love, I love that imagery. It's like the, whose top reaches the heaven, that's where God starts. <laughs> right? This is the greatness, the grandeur, the, majesty, the wonder of Nebuchadnezzar, God's only just getting started. And it's just, it's just a brilliant picture, kind of, of just how great and wonderful um, our God is. And maybe uh, you're not actually a, a, a Christian here today. And that would, be, that would be the first step. You can see all of these things going on. You can see, and, and, and maybe that may be part of your testimony, that actually you, you found in Revelation Church, you found a community that embodies something powerful that actually through relationships, there's something, 
there's something deeply, deeply spiritual that God's doing. There's something powerful at work, but it's got to go beyond observation. There's got to be that moment of surrender um, and coming under God's authority and sitting under his word, of that repenting and turning away from trying to do things in our own strength, trying, trying to do things that would make a name for ourselves, like Nebuchadnezzar did, and actually come humbly before God and lay those things at his feet. We'll come back to that when we pick up with uh, the last verse, in verse 27. The second thing I want to draw out um, is that Nebuchadnezzar shares his dream for interpretation. He didn't do that before. He, when he called all of these other people, he said, he said to them, tell me the dream and then tell me its interpretation. And, and obviously, he's, uh, at this point, he then tells uh, these, his counsel, if you like. He tells them his dream and then asks for an interpretation. But it says that no one can interpret it. Verse 18 uh, it says, uh, this dream was, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. They can't make known to him. And I wonder, when you read, when you read the picture of his dream, and, and, and you read Daniel's interpretation of it, it, it kind, it's pretty straightforward, really, that there's this great tree, and then one comes and says, chop down the tree. And I wonder whether there was a sense in which these other um, magicians, Chaldeans, sorcerers, enchanters, whether they actually didn't want to make known the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> right? I mean, it's a pretty harrowing interpretation of the dream. And so they're probably all sat there going, do you want to take this one? <laughs> right? Because Nebuchadnezzar is king. And what's he just done in the previous chapter... Well, for not, bowing down, for, for not bowing down to an idol that he's made of himself, he throws people into a fire, right? And you're probably sat there going, I'm not really sure I want to tell him the bad news. <laughs> um, and it, um, it reminds me of, uh, of, of that verse in James 4. It says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And in the midst of this incredible empire that he's building, in the midst of his pride and his arrogance, God just comes up against him in a dream. And actually, just as he uh, declared to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwelt on the earth, in his dream, God makes another decree. God says that all people will know that the Most High rules. You see, Nebuchadnezzar is known for his brutal dealings with people. And so Daniel stands before him. And, and, and in that moment, I mean, we know Daniel's not shy. He's, he's, God's been with him. God's provided for him. He's probably terrified, I would imagine, but he's not shy. He doesn't back down. In Proverbs 9, verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And where Daniel might be fearful stood before the king, he actually has a greater fear, to use that word, of God. And that word fear is, is about awe. It's about a reverence. It's about a, a, a respect for God. He, he has a fear for God that actually outstrips and outweighs any fear he could have of Nebuchadnezzar. 
And we've seen that time and time again throughout the book where Daniel and his friends take a stand. Because because of their love, their awe, their respect for God, they say, we can't defile ourselves with this. We can't engage with these practices. We can't do these things that you're asking of us because there is one that is greater than you. And so Daniel, he speaks the truth. He speaks the truth plainly to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar teases it out of him a little bit. Absolutely. He says, don't be alarmed. He says, let not the dream of the interpretation alarm you. And then, and then, and then Daniel begins to speak. And he, he speaks the truth, but he does so with love in his heart. In Ephesians 4, verse 15, Paul tells the church in Ephesus to speak the truth in love. And that speaking the truth in love is a way of maturing and staying true to who God is. And where, where we might be tempted to, to, to deviate from God's ways or the truth as we read in the scripture, you think, man, I'm not sure I can, I, I, I'm not sure I can do that. Or maybe you're, you're, you're put in a situation at work where you're tempted to, to lie or, or, or fudge a document or numbers or something like that. And you think, I can't with all integrity do that. There's a, mo- there's a moment in God where actually speaking the truth in love brings us back. It centers us back on God. And that's what, and that's what he does with Nebuchadnezzar. Is he just speaks the truth in love. In Daniel 4 verse 19, um, he says, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. He basically says, I'm not sure you're going to want to hear this. I wish this wasn't for you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. And I wonder if we 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 sometimes I, I wonder if we sometimes don't speak the truth in love for various different reasons. And those moments where we just go quiet. Because it may be that um Perhaps, perhaps in those moments, our view of God is perhaps diminished or too small. That actually the truth, as we read about in Scripture, perhaps we're a little bit hesitant to begin applying that to somebody's life. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, it says, Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's not stop speaking the truth in love, encouraging one another. We're, we're, and, 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 this, and when we talk about speaking the truth in love, it, it's, it's as much about how we say something as what we say. So we can, we can be those that, that, that come in. And to be honest, churches, church movement streams have done it for years. Come in with a really hard line. That's just brutal. And there's very little love communicated. And actually, Daniel, with a foreign king, who has basically raided his home nation, taken him into captivity, Daniel then speaks with love and compassion for him. says, do you know what? I wish this wasn't for you. I, w- I, w- I wouldn't wish this on anybody. 
but I'm going to tell you the truth. And then there's a process of them. And for us, there's a process then of working that out. You see, if we don't speak the truth, or, or, or we let something just go unchecked, or we, or we don't actually um, make those, have those hard conversations, and we can, uh, we can allow um, a sense of resentment or bitterness to then take hold in our hearts. Because something, something's off, something's not, not right, and yet we just go silent. And in those moments, what happens in our mind is that we can then be tempted to feel senses of bitterness or um, resentment or something's not quite right. The, the relationship's wonky. And it's partly because, for whatever reason, we're not prepared to speak the truth in love. We're not prepared to bring these things into the light and have them dealt with. In Hebrews 12, it talks about a root of bitterness, something that's hidden, a root that's underground, it's kind of buried deep. It says in Hebrews 12 that a root of bitterness can spring up and cause trouble. That, that, that where some of these things go unchecked, it just starts to spring up in different areas, different parts of our lives. You go, I didn't think I'd feel like that about this situation. And all of a sudden, that root of bitterness is just starting to pop up, spring up and cause trouble um, around the place. And finally, finally, I just want to say on this point, um, particularly for application for us, um, speaking the truth in love is not, is, is not about sharing your opinion. So that verse in Ephesians um, about speaking the truth in love, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. There is one truth, there is one way, and it's through Jesus. So when we speak the truth in love, it's really important that we're not just speaking opinions. Oh, this is what I think. And, and, and you start to get a lot of that sort of talk nowadays about, well, this is my truth. And what people really mean by that is, this is my perspective. Or this is my experience. Or this is the reality that I'm living with. You see, Paul in Ephesians is talking about the truth. The foundation of the truth that is centered on Jesus. And then finally, I know we're running short of time, uh, so I'll be quick, hopefully. Um, the interpretation um, of the dream is incredibly humbling. Um, Daniel says to him, you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You've got to remember, he's not speaking to an outcast. <laughs> this isn't somebody that's on the fringes of society. This isn't somebody that might already be in people's bad books. Um, this is the king. This, this entire kingdom, is Babylon was essentially centered on Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel's saying that judgment is coming and you're going to be driven out from among men. Daniel really doesn't pull any punches in this. And then actually right at the end, in verse 27, he concludes by saying... Um, to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, break off your sins. Well, he says, from, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps 
a lengthening of your prosperity. And Daniel makes this plea of Nebuchadnezzar. He's essentially saying, turn, turn away from those things. Turn away from idolatry. Turn away from all that stuff. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. Daniel is essentially calling on Nebuchadnezzar to repent. He's calling on Nebuchadnezzar to turn away from all of that stuff and come and put his faith in God. Daniel is essentially saying, look, you've seen it. You've seen this happen over the years. You've seen this happen throughout the last dream, through the fiery furnace, through all these different things. You've done incredible things. You've seen incredible things. He even declares at the beginning of chapter 4, and yet his heart hasn't changed. And so Daniel's pleading with him to come and put his trust uh, in God. And interestingly, Daniel gives a very clear instruction to the king. Now, we don't like telling people what to do. I would imagine you probably would be even less likely to try and tell somebody what to do if they were the king or queen. Right? They are in a position of authority and power. And, 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 and even within British culture, we kind of wince at the idea of telling people what they can and can't do, or what they should and shouldn't believe. But to be honest, that's really what it means to be a Christian. Is actually to open yourself up to the possibility that somebody else might be able to tell you what to do. That person being Jesus. That we have God's word as instruction to us of how to live. And so actually, even within this room, we open ourselves up to God's word, to sit under God's word. We all of a sudden say, actually, it's no, my, this, kingdom, this kingdom is no longer centered on me. My little domain, my little kingdom is no longer centered on me. I want to sit in submission under God's word and his authority and live in light of that. And that can be a scary place to be. Because what you're doing in that moment is you're giving over control. You're giving over control of your dreams. You're giving over control of your aspirations, of your um, hopes, of, of, of those things that you hold dear. You're giving those over to God and saying, you're in the driving seat. You take control. You have your way in my life that it would be for your glory and nothing else. You see, it's absolutely necessary that if we're going to live lives that glorify God, lives that aren't compromised or conflicted um, or, or blown about by every wind of doctrine, as we read in Colossians, that actually we don't just follow the latest trend or the latest fad, that actually we, 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 we stay centered and everything we do is stacked up and measured against the word of God. Okay, well, Lord, what is it that you would say? And actually, part of being the church is opening ourselves up to one another to do that. And to speak the truth in love. Where there might be a gentle word that, where somebody just says, probably not like this, but I was reading this the other day, and, and, and I just want to, and, and I'm trying to reconcile how... How, how, how does that work? How do you 
navigate a passage like that. And we have to have the humility to be able to say, maybe I've done a wrong one. Maybe, maybe, maybe I've stepped out of what God's intention for me was. And in those moments, humble ourselves to come back to the truth. And that can be a painful conversation to have. But there is so much fruit and so much joy when that's done in a loving community. When that's done with brothers and sisters that actually are for us, for our growth, for our maturity, for, our, um, for, for all that God has intended for us. And I can attest, some of those conversations are really difficult to have. When somebody just comes and just says, I'm trying to reconcile this. And you go, do you know what? That's probably because that's my own selfishness and I need to repent of that. <laughs> right? That's tough. But it leads to the most fruit. It leads to maturing. It leads to us growing together um, as God's people.